Cast your mind back two weeks, Pentecost Sunday, and we turn together to Acts chapter 2, a really remarkable story. Do you remember the special goings-on, the, the miraculous experiences of those involved? There were the disciples, perhaps 120 or so, and they were gathered together. And as they were gathered together, they heard this wonderful sound, like a, like a rushing wind. As they're praying with one another, they see these flames come and rest upon each and every one of them. And then, all of a sudden, each of them is, is prompted. Each of them is stirred to stand up and to begin to talk about the wonders of God. They're, they're, they're from inside, they're in, encouraged. They can't hold it back. They just want to speak about the life, the death, the ministry, the resurrection of Jesus. But as they do that, the words that come out aren't familiar to them. They do that speaking a language that they have never, ever spoken before in their lives. It sounds fantastic to us. It sounds weird or, or wonderful. And it seemed fantastic to those who experienced it there and then. There were others in Jerusalem at the time and they heard the sound. They saw the sight. They actually heard these disciples speaking in their own language. And they gathered round and they asked the question, what on earth does all of this mean? And if you were with us two weeks ago, hopefully you'll remember that I tried to explain it like this. That at Pentecost, the power of God was coming to achieve the purpose of God. That the Holy Spirit was filling his church so that his presence could be amongst his people. Jesus had said, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you may go out and be witnesses to me. Because God's desire is to be with us and for more and more people to be brought into that. Brass tacks. Pentecost was about the Holy Spirit sent to achieve God's ultimate purpose of dwelling with humanity and in so doing supernaturally equipping the disciples to help draw others in. And maybe I made that clear, maybe I didn't, maybe you've remembered some of that, maybe you didn't. But in any case, in chapter 2, it seems that the crowd that was drawn in wanted to know the answer to that question. And it wasn't left just to me two weeks ago to answer it. People have been grappling with it, exploring it ever since, including Peter on the very day of Pentecost. This morning, that's what we're going to listen to. That's what we're going to hear. Is Peter standing up and answering that question, what on earth does it all mean? What on earth is happening? Peter saying, this is what has happened to us. And before he finishes, he will turn and he will say, this is what could happen to you too. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read our way through the majority of the chapter in chunks. And I'm going to begin right now in verse 14. Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. 
this weird and wonderful experience. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was already spoken about by the prophet Joel. <clears throat> in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter understands what's going on. These weird and wonderful experiences, he's joined the dots. He remembers what Jesus had said, what Jesus had promised to the disciples, to that smaller group of believers, that he had promised the gift of God himself dwelling amongst his people, equipping them to take the truth to others and for more and more folks to be drawn in. But of course that promise was only made to Peter and the eleven and, and some select others. So this crowd hadn't necessarily heard of that promise. Peter joins more dots than just what's happening there to what Jesus has said at the start of Acts chapter 1. He joins the dots to something that everyone in uh, attendance would have known. An even earlier promise of God. He reminds them of this portion of the Old Testament that they all would have known. A promise made by God through the prophet Joel centuries before. And the promise was essentially this. That a day was coming when God wouldn't just operate in our world any longer through a select few. That he wouldn't pick out in particular a judge or a king or a priest to work and, and, and to communicate to his people through. No, God's promise through Joel was that a time was coming when he would show up and work powerfully through all sorts of people, or through every sort of people. All these folks who call on the name of the Lord and are saved would be filled with the Spirit and would have God dwelling with them and working through them. That's what Jesus had been promising after his resurrection. It's what Joel had promised all those years ago. But in a sense, that's the promise of all the scriptures too. The story of what God is up to. We know in our Bibles, don't we, that God made everything. He made Adam and Eve to live in this special place with him, Eden. Sort of a uh, a mixture, an amalgamation of the earth that you and I know and love and the heavenly place where God dwells. That his ideal situation, his ideal setup was for man and woman to go out and to fill the earth and for them to take his presence everywhere with them. Only the story is quickly interrupted by rebellion and sin. And all of a sudden it becomes a story of a separated people. A people who have been cast out. A people who are constantly at arm's length from God. And how he is going to reunite them with himself. 
how he's going to take guilty people and help them to find forgiveness and acceptance once again. That's God's promise throughout the scriptures, that he's going to do something so that one day we and he can be together and it's going to transform our lives completely. And Peter here, in, in seeking to answer the question, what on earth is going on as the sound of the rushing wind and the sight of the tongues of fire and the experience of dis- declaring the, the wonderful deeds of God in multiple languages, Peter says what's going on right before your very eyes is this promise that has been made, this promise being kept. God has done is doing that which is necessary so that we and he can dwell together again at last. But he's not content, really, in just describing this um, promise that has been made. He wants to help the people who are there to understand and to, and to realise how that promise made, that promise now kept, has been delivered. Let's pick it up in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, Jesus was a big talking point. The things that he had been doing for years were well known by virtually everyone. This man, Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, the Romans, uh, the, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the elders, the teachers, Pontius Pilate. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freed him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep hold of this one, David, that great and glorious king, the one who wrote so many of the Psalms said this about Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see decay. You made known to me the paths of life and you fill me with joy in your presence. Peter says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this one, Jesus, to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. 
you follow Peter's thinking? It's perhaps a little bit difficult for us because we don't have the same expectations that they had or the same knowledge of the scriptures and Israel's history as they had. But essentially, this is what he is saying, that this pouring out of the Spirit on all people, God coming at last to truly dwell with us and to work through us and amongst us, what they've been waiting for, what they've been hoping for, what each and every one of us was created for, is now a reality because of Jesus. Jesus, he said, had come. A particular Spirit-filled individual whose life was filled with wonders and miracles and signs has come, says Peter, as part of God's plan to open the doors, the floodgates of Joel's promise, to fulfill what is promised in all of the scriptures, God dwelling with us, us dwelling with God. Remember that this fulfillment, the keeping of the whole promise was not just from a random corner in Joel's book, but that Jesus came to be the Christ, he said, the Messiah, the Saviour, that he was handed over and killed before being raised to life again three days later, that having raised to this new kind of life, he had ascended back into the heavenly places, that Jesus was the one who had come and done what was necessary so that we could be in this position of receiving God, the Spirit. Jesus has done what was necessary now so that the church could be a temple, a place where God truly lives. What does it all mean, the crowd had puzzled. These guys are drunk, some people had suggested. No, says Peter, what you are witnessing is this promise being kept, the promise being delivered at last because of what Jesus has done. But he's not satisfied with just explaining what they've experienced. Peter isn't satisfied with just declaring, this is for our benefit, just so that you know. Now he moves on and he finishes with, this is what could happen to you too. Pick it up again in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I love that description of the crowd being cut to the heart. When we look at Pentecost and what is happening, so often we focus on the tongues and the fire. But let's not forget as well that this is a work of the Spirit. When the Spirit comes and he fills and he equips the believers to be a people who are passionate about sharing and speaking about Jesus, he's also at work opening blind eyes, 
and stopping deaf ears, helping folk to understand the truth about Jesus and to prepare them to respond. They ask the question, well, what should we do? And Peter is glad of the opportunity to tell them that they should repent, that they should turn away from their old way of life, their old selfishness, their old sinfulness, that they should turn to God in Christ and that when they do three things at least they will receive did you notice that forgiveness filling and family he says repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins Jesus has done what is necessary for us to be put right once more with God it's not just something for Peter and the other disciples to enjoy. It's on offer for us. That which separates us, that which cuts us off, has been done away with. Forgiveness and acceptance can be ours when we turn and we trust in Jesus. More than that, he says, if you have been forgiven, you will be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's spirit in us. This isn't just like a, a card that we can carry in our pocket, um, like a vaccination card or what I've been applying recently for, uh, um, a passport which says that I'm permitted to do A or B or go here or there. No, this is God taking up residence within us and amongst us. It's what we're created for. It's, it's really why we need to be forgiven, so that we can live life differently. We can be filled with God's spirit. And he says, you'll receive family. Save yourself from a corrupt generation. Get out of that situation and come. Be added to our number even today that we would be a part of the whole community that knows God and is known by God. Peter says this isn't just what's happened to us. We come and we read Acts chapter 2 and it isn't just something curious and interesting and exciting that has happened to a group over there, over then. Peter says this is for each and every one of us today. That if we repent, if we we turn from our own old selves, our own way, and we turn and we trust that Jesus is the one who has come to fulfill all of those promises. We can be forgiven. We will be filled. And we will be part of a family. Now that is a heck of an offer, isn't it? It's a heck of an offer. And it's an offer, I think, that we don't always fully appreciate. Sometimes, some of us can be really comfortable and confident to speak of forgiveness coming through Jesus. That's what Jesus has earned. Um, the innocent becoming guilty so that the guilty can become innocent. That we who have done wrong can be cleansed, can be purified. This is all scriptural language so that we can be made right with God. We're happy, we're comfortable, we're confident with that. But we neglect the other two. Or for other people, we totally understand coming to Jesus as being an opportunity to be filled up, to be animated, to, to, to have God dwelling with us, to have that intimate relationship that we speak about sometimes. 
and we forget maybe the necessity for forgiveness or, or the family aspect. Others still, the Christian faith, Jesus is just about bringing us into relationship with one another. And we love the church because it's a place where, 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 where others who are unlike us accept us and are just like us in their faith and in their commitment to God. Very often, it will be one or two of those out of the three that rise up and, and make more sense and appeal to us and, and kind of occupy our minds. And so I would ask the question this morning is, do we really appreciate the fullness of what is on offer, of what Peter is here declaring can be ours too? Do we know the fullness of the gift? It got me thinking about this little device. I have an iPhone here. You may not have an iPhone. You may just have a regular old smartphone. But I remember when the late, great Steve Jobs uh, announced the coming of the iPhone. People had been expecting it for a while. But he was speaking on stage about um, how we wanted to have certain devices with us all of the time in this modern world. We wanted to have a phone. We wanted to have a music player. We wanted to have access to the internet and a web browser. And that how, really, it was, it was a sort of situation that we were in where we'd carry a phone, we'd carry an iPod, and we'd carry a laptop around with us so that we could have all of those three things. And then he said, well, what if we just had one device? What if we just had one thing that was a phone, an MP3 player, and was the internet in our pocket. And that was the iPhone. That was what was birthed, what was born in 2007. Now, as I suggested, many of us have one of these in our pocket. Either an iPhone or a smartphone that is very much like it. Something which is capable of being used as a communications device. Uh, that we can make phone calls, we can send text messages or WhatsApp or what have you. It's also a media player that we can... Uh, access songs through it, put songs and films and TV shows on it and, and enjoy content straight into our brains from it. And it's also a portal into the great world wide web, to that vast database of human knowledge and everything that exists there. It is a phone, it is a media player, it is the internet in our pocket. But not very often do we interact with it in that way. There are certainly people watching today who their phone in their pocket, even though it is capable of doing so many more things, is just a device that they use for making phone calls, sending WhatsApp messages, taking pictures and sharing pictures of their grandkids. That we don't fully appreciate everything that we have in this single device. And I think that's a little bit like how we are when it comes to the good news about Jesus, the promise kept, the promise delivered, that we don't fully reckon with the fact that there is forgiveness, that there is filling, and that there is family on offer when we turn to and trust in Jesus. The good news, of course, is this. When we come, when we ask, Jesus also promised we will receive. So let me challenge you, let me encourage you this morning. If you are someone who is a stranger to God, if you are someone who is far away from Jesus, then repent. 
Stop walking down the road that you are walking. Stop living the life that you are living and turn and trust in Jesus. Pray. Pray that God would, by his spirit, help you to see and to understand, to be cut to the heart, to, to, to help you to, to lay claim to and cling to the Messiah, Jesus who came, who lived, who died and has risen to life again. Perhaps you are a believer. Perhaps you are someone who has enjoyed forgiveness in their lives, has um, enthused in, uh, about forgiveness for years and years and years, but you don't know about that filling. You don't know about that, that warmth and that burning, that life that is available to us. Pray. Ask that God would make his presence in you so fully known that you wouldn't want to keep faith and Christianity, your relationship with God as something that is portioned neatly into a Sunday or to a Wednesday evening when you go off or when you open your Bible in the morning now and again. But it would be something that was real 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Pray, ask God and you will receive. Or perhaps you have both of those and you just feel like you have never fitted in in God's people. Well, ask. Ask God to help you to find his people where you are. I don't presume that everyone is in the Ammonford area. I know that folks join in from further afield. Pray that God would help lead you to a church, to a body, to a family of believers who have all experienced the same thing who know the forgiveness that is in Jesus and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And if you are here in Amford, pray, but come along. Be a part of what God is crafting and creating and doing here in this place at this time. I beg you, don't leave this morning be just an opportunity to hear from Peter and hear from me and understand, okay, yeah, I get, I get now that explanation of the tongues of fire and the rushing wind, and God's promises of old, and what Jesus has done. Don't leave it at that, but make it something that is real to you. Take the gift in its fullness. Use it in all the ways that it was intended. Ask God in Jesus to forgive you, to fill you, and root you deeply in his family. Amen.